So have you ever bought clothes for babies or toddlers? Yeah, I pretty much left that to my wife. But, uh, but one day, oddly, remarkably, I'm just going to say mistakenly, I was at the mall. And I was at the mall, and I was looking for an outfit for one of the kids. And so I was over there, and, and I was on the side wall, and there was all these clothes on the wall. And so I, I picked up this one outfit and kind of held it up and put it on the rack so I could look at it. It was a cute little outfit. It was really nice right there on the wall, and, and it was a size 9 to 12. And I was like, eh, it looks a little small. So I reached around the rack, and, and I pulled out the size 12 to 18. And I held it up next to it. I'm telling you, it was the exact same size. I mean, nothing different in those two articles of clothing. And I was like, all right, this still looks a little small and a little strange. Either the same thing. So I thought, all right, I'm going to look for the 18 to 24-month one. So I pull out the 18 24 month and I stick it right next to the other two. And I'm telling you, with all the confusion and truth, I can tell you, all three of those outfits were the same exact size. I had no idea which one I was supposed to get. And that's why I don't go to the mall anymore. Actually, that's probably number 718 of the reasons I don't go to the mall. Now, I would imagine all of us have had a dream that we would be trained in aeronautical engineering and, and fashion design and origami so that we could make our own children's line of clothing, right? I mean, we've had that dream, right? Just me? Maybe so. Uh, actually, there is one man who has taken that beyond the dream. Uh, Ryan Yazin just awarded the 2017 James Dyson Award in the United Kingdom. And what Ryan has done is he has won it for designing. He has a degree in aeronautical engineering. He has a training in, in origami and fashion design. So he's put all of that together, and he has put together some pioneering clothes for kids. Now, what makes them so pioneering? What makes them pioneering is they expand with the kid. They grow with your child. Uh, Ryan's clothing are made from pleated, lightweight fabric. They are waterproof, machine washable, recyclable, and they expand up to seven sizes. So seven sizes is about the range from birth to two-year-olds for the average child. So, so this is some pretty incredible design here. I love what he said, though, about the background of why he thinks the way he does. We personally see children as extreme athletes. If you are a parent of anyone under the age of 18, you know exactly what that means. We personally see children as extreme athletes, as the little rugrats that they are. Not as little angels who are good and perfectly behaved all the time. So the clothes are designed for them running around and being little extreme athletes. That's a great picture. So here's what Ryan had. He had a, he had a little small idea for little small people. He had a small idea that, that expanded into an award. And then that award has now expanded into not just clothes that expand, but a business. It has expanded into his life that a, a whole business is behind his little small idea. So what if there was a little small idea that was designed with such perfection that it could actually satisfy your soul? A little small idea, a small idea that, that you would never outgrow. And in fact, it would expand over the course of your lifetime. And what if it wasn't just a small idea that had a chance to win an award? What if it wasn't just a small idea that, that led to the starting of a business? 
What if this small idea was a guaranteed reality with more value than your house, your car, or your retirement account? Well, there is a reality like that. There is a small idea that expands in just that way. It's a small idea that expands in such a way that you can be satisfied today. And some of you are already wearing it, and some of you may not be wearing it. And so if you are, I want you to be encouraged today as we consider it. And if you're not, then I plead with you to listen carefully and that God might draw your heart to Him. Listen to Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 18. So he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? So Jesus was at church one day, and, and there was a church leader there, and the, the church leader had, had been a little pushy, a little arrogant. He had been a little hypocritical. And so in the verses before this, we find that Jesus kind of deals with the hypocrisy. He confronts that hypocrisy, but, but then he's walking a little deeper into the conversation now. And he asks a question. What is the kingdom of God like? What's the kingdom of God like? Imagine you're part of that crowd that day. Imagine you're, you're there in the room and, and you hear Jesus asking this question. Okay, remember, you live in a place that's ruled by the Roman Empire. You have lots of freedoms, tons of freedoms, but you still feel a little bit oppressed. You're tired of Roman rule. You're tired of Roman politicians. You're tired of Roman soldiers. And your grandparents and your parents, they've told you these stories about this promise from God. This promise that, that there was going to be a, a new kingdom and a, a new leader that was going to bring this new kingdom into existence. And that promise sounded a little bit like this, at least part of it. Isaiah 9, verse 7. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Peace, justice, righteousness. I mean, who wants that, right? I mean, I can't think of a single way that peace and justice and righteousness would help our nation right now, can you? <laughs> now, these are much desired. And this is a picture of this promised leader that is to come. This promised kingdom was going to have peace that never ends. That's something. And so you're standing in church that day, and, and Jesus asked, hey, what is the kingdom of God like? What what should I compare it to? And you get a little bit excited, right? Boy, kingdom of God. I've heard about this. My grandparents have told me. My parents have told me. Boy, what is the kingdom of God like? And, and you get a little excited. It's, you know, it's like a gender reveal party for your, you know, your sister's baby coming or, or like the announcement of the first BCS folks or, or, or the, the local election is about to post the results. You're, you're excited. Man, I, I can't wait to hear what this is about. And your wheels start to turn. Wow, a new kingdom. A new kingdom. There, there would be no Roman politicians telling us what to do. There would be no more Roman soldiers pushing us around on the streets. No unfair taxes. No religious persecution. Oh, and best of all, a new leader. A new dynamic leader. This, this leader who's going to come in and he's going to, to fix our economy and he's going to fix our health care system and our, our tax system. He's going to fix our social evils and our, our legal evils. 
oh yeah, this, this new leader, boy, he's going to solve everything. A new leader is going to bring peace and, and justice and righteousness. And you start getting excited. And then you switch gears. And you start thinking about the practical stuff. Oh, wait a minute. If this is a new kingdom, if this is a new leader, then, then that means there's going to be better salaries and there's going to be better houses, and there's going to be better transportation. There's going to be better schools and, and better education and, and better public parks. There's going to be better churches and bigger churches. Boy, this is, this is great. I mean, just in a few seconds with just a couple of questions from Jesus, you are on the edge of your seat in the synagogue. Boy, I can't wait. you got your confetti gun in one hand and your, your party horn in the next. Well, you can't wait for him to announce what this kingdom is going to be like so you can celebrate. And what does Jesus say? How does Jesus describe the kingdom of God? This is what he says, verse 19. It is like a mustard seed. <laughs> You're sitting there going, wait, what? A, a mustard seed? A mustard seed? A mustard seed is like one of the, one of the smallest seeds in the world. I mean, you, you drop it and it immediately disappears and you can't find it. What kind of kingdom a new kingdom, an exciting kingdom, a promised kingdom. What kind of kingdom is tiny and gets lost in dirt? Your excitement immediately begins to turn to confusion. And your confusion expands into frustration. And your frustration expands into disgust. And you put down your confetti gun and you put down your party horn. And what you really want to do is cup your hands and just say, boo! Nah, that ain't my kingdom. So you kind of mentally checked out when you heard mustard seed, but you do know that Jesus said something else. This is the rest of what he said. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden. <laughs> now you're thinking, this is just getting worse. There's no dynamic leader. There's some farmer with no name, and he's just throwing a seed out in his own garden. I mean, you can imagine at this point, some of the people in the synagogue were like, man, what, what is this? Man, if that's the kingdom, that sounds like a bunch of hippy-dippy baloney. I don't have nothing to do with that. Man, if that's the kingdom, that's a lame kingdom. And you can imagine Bartholomew turning to Peter and going, what have we gotten ourselves into a mustard seed? This is the kingdom that we were promised? This, this exciting thing that was supposed to happen? What is Jesus talking about? Maybe you're in that ballpark today. Maybe there's, there's something happening in your life that God hasn't worked out the way you think he should have worked out, at least by now. Maybe there's some difficulty that's leading you to even start thinking, I don't know. Maybe this Christianity is a bunch of hippy-dippy baloney. Maybe this is just a, a phony religious crutch. Maybe God doesn't have all this power and all this love that he says he has. And if you're not feeling that way today, then you might one day. You could. You could get so angry and so frustrated with what's going on in your life that you could start thinking, you know what, things are too tough at home. Things are too tough at work. Things are too tough with my health. Things are too tough with the kids. Things are too tough at the bank. And before you know it, you're finding yourself starting to question this lame mustard seed kingdom of God. 
And you're wondering, what is this all about? And you shift from worshiping the king and his kingdom to looking for something on earth to worship, a a little earthly kingdom, or maybe an earthly king or an earthly queen. Something or someone or some group or some building or something that you like. I'm going to put my attention into that because it will give me more joy than I'm getting from this mustard seed thing that Jesus talks about. You might feel like God's not holding up his end of the bargain. That, that God's not doing what he's supposed to do, so, so maybe you bail on the church. And you start shifting all of your ultimate worship to your family or to your job or to sports or to hobbies, to your nation, to your government, to your politicians, to your bank accounts, or maybe just to your own opinions and your own preferences, and, and you just shift away from any notion of who God is. See, if we aren't careful we can very easily, boldly or casually, begin to demand that God make His kingdom in our image instead of His image. It can happen before we know it. So you're sitting in church that day, and Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed that some no-name farmer threw in the dirt somewhere in his garden. And maybe you hear that and you're not mentally impressed at all. In fact, you're, you're a little bit discouraged because the stories you heard, Grandma said that it was a kingdom and there was coming a king that was going to bring peace that lasted forever. And you're not hearing that in a mustard seed. Jesus had one more thing he said about the mustard seed. Listen to verse 19. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. All right, so a mustard seed in that area in the time of Jesus would have grown to be like maybe two or three feet tall. Okay, so kind of like a shrub, a a bush. That doesn't sound like a a bird sanctuary in any way, shape, or form. And so it's kind of hard to imagine that birds would be building houses in this little shrub from a mustard seed. So because this doesn't make sense and because the language is scientifically confusing, that means there's no way Jesus could ever be the Messiah, right? There's no way that Jesus could ever be the Son of God. I mean, if He can't get His botany right, then why in the world should we think that He could be the Savior of the world? Imagine you're riding down the road one day and and there's a row of businesses, and you see a sign kind of right out on the road, on the roadside. And the sign says this, Thursday night is carsonology night. I mean, you might think that some guy or gal named Carson is going to be there on Thursday night, and they're doing a DIY training session on how you can build your own sonic ice machine. I mean, you have no idea what carsonology, you know, might be. But let's say you're riding by the same place and the sign doesn't say that. The sign says Thursday night is all-you-can-eat shrimp night. All right, can you do the math on that one? Yeah, I can figure that one out. I know where I'm beelining, all right? So you don't have to put a sign up with the scientific study of crustaceans and shrimp to try to draw people's attention. Just let them know that you got shrimp and it's all-you-can-eat. That's all you really need to communicate. I'm fairly certain Jesus was not trying to win a merit award with the Jerusalem Botanical Society when he told this parable. I'm pretty sure he was not trying to make sure that he knocked it out of the block with how he described his plant. 
No, what Jesus was doing was trying to take a profound truth and say it in a room full of people so that everybody could understand. The people with the PhDs and the people who failed PE, everybody would be able to figure out exactly what Jesus was saying. So what did he use? A mustard seed. A mustard seed. He's talking in an area that's mostly agricultural. This society was mostly agricultural. So he says, you know what? Let me tell you about a mustard seed. Everybody listening would have understood what he meant. Everybody would have been able to make the comparison. Oh, wait a minute. So Jesus is saying that something strong and sturdy is going to come out of something that's teeny and tiny. That's not hard to understand. Jesus is is talking about the kingdom of God, and he's making it very clear just with one sentence that they should not look for a grand new palace on earth with this new kingdom. They should not look for for great grand parades with this new kingdom. They should not look for majestic, impressive military armies with this new kingdom. These were not the things they should look for on earth when it came to the kingdom of God. In fact, what Jesus says is you should look for something that's going to start small, And it's going to be tiny and feeble and frail and weak and helpless. It's going to be scrawny and scanty and trivial. That's how you're going to look at it. And that's how most people will look at it. But what he's saying is this. From that scrawny seed, something that is coming is strong and sturdy. How strong? How sturdy? All right, let's just do a little bit of math. So Jesus chose 12 guys to follow him during his three years of ministry. So after Jesus was risen from the dead, he is still risen from the dead. He is risen indeed. After that, about 500 to 1,000 maybe were devoted to following Jesus. And then today, about 2.2 billion people around the world profess to be followers of Jesus. Now, let's just say that, that only half of those are really believers, all right? Let's just say that, that half of them are, are just professing Christianity as, as, as a word, as a title, but they don't have saving faith, all right? Even if that were true, even if only half of them were believers, we're, we're talking about a billion people from one mustard seed. But, you know, any religion, any group can throw out some numbers and, and say, well, oh, this is why we're cool, this is why we're strong. So, so what makes these numbers different? What's behind these numbers of Christianity? Well, what's behind the numbers is Jesus. So Jesus is behind the numbers. He was born in a stable. He, he grew up in a kind of small nothing town. He built chairs and, and tables. And then after 30 years, he, he put his carpenter's tools down and, and he began to go And he began to preach and teach his message of repentance. He had no house, no land, no donkey, no camel, no savings account, no checking account, no IRA, no 401k, nothing. This is just Jesus. But from this small picture, from this nothing town, from this nothing story, salvation has come. Eternal life, eternal hope, eternal peace has come from something that seems small and insignificant. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint 
of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. That didn't sound small. That didn't sound like a, a mustard seed that the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah, he upholds the entire world by his power. I can't even uphold my house by my power. I can't even uphold my briefcase by my power. We, we have so little power. And Jesus, the power in Him, it upholds the entire universe. And yet He's saying that this gospel, this kingdom, is, it comes from a little seed. I love what Gavin Ortland says. Jesus isn't merely a merciful Savior. He's also a ruling king. He isn't merely to be loved and appreciated. He's also to be worshipped and fearfully obeyed. I love this. He isn't merely grace. He's also the glory and the grandeur of God Himself. That's a great picture to tattoo on your brain. The, the grandeur of God. The grandeur of God Himself. See, we're not just talking about numbers. We're talking about the power and the authority and the beauty and the grandeur of God behind those numbers, and all of that is in the person of Jesus. It's why we worship Jesus. It's why we make much of Jesus. It's not just a number. And so Jesus says, what? You know what? The kingdom of God, it's all going to start from something that looks like a mustard seed. That's a little different. So here's the question. What does it have to do with you? What does any of this have to do with you? What is, what is this moment in the synagogue? What is this, this promise of Jesus, this comparison? What does it have to do with you? Well, the kingdom of God, as described by Jesus, has an impact on your life internally and externally. So let's start with the, the internal first. If you are a Christian, can you remember the, the moment when you got saved? Now, if you can't remember all of that, just don't let anybody frighten you into 75 rededications because you can't remember the time and the place and what color socks you were wearing, right? It's okay if you don't remember all the details. But if you remember some of them, what was it like? What was it like when, when your chains fell off? Was it like a presidential inauguration? I mean, was... Was it, you know, just this grand display with, with fireworks and, and celebrities everywhere? Is, is that, does it kind of feel like that? Or did your conversion maybe feel a little more like you're, you're walking down a sandy path at the ocean and then suddenly you just, you fall to your knees and you feel the hands of heaven capture your heart and you feel love that you know will never let you go. Can you still hear the chains falling? Because I can even as I say it. I'm standing in that moment. I remember the feeling. I don't deserve it. I was a great church kid condemned to hell, damned for all of eternity. And the chains fell off in a moment by myself walking down a path. Can you hear the chains falling? Listen, it's all that matters. 
It's all that matters. If your team wins or loses, if your candidate wins or loses, if you get a raise or get fired, the only thing that matters is can you hear those chains falling? Because there will be a moment when you stand before the Lord, and that's what will matter. That's what will matter most. So whether you are in a sanctuary, or whether you are in an arena, or whether you are in a Sunday school classroom listening to a preacher or teacher teach or share the gospel, or whether you were just in your own bedroom reading the Bible, the message that you heard at your conversion, it was the same message for all of us. I love how Jeff Thomas puts it. The message was not one that flattered you at all. It said that you, like all men, are a sinner, and that you needed forgiveness and the mercy of God, and that He has provided this through sending His Son to be the Savior of the world. I love this part. You were told that you could do nothing to gain heaven but to entrust yourself to Him, and that He, Jesus, had lived the life you have failed to live, and He has made atonement for your sins by His death. He goes on, you were told that it was futile to try to do anything until God had given you a new birth and made you a new creature. But as you cried to God and yielded yourself to God, then He was working in your heart. And what was He doing in your heart? What was He doing? Oh, so good. I'm so good I lost my piece of paper. He was planting there a mustard seed. Of grace. Where are you today after however long you've been a Christian? No matter who you are, whether you're a pastor or a teacher or just somebody who works hard at your job and honors God with your work, no matter who you are, you are a dead scoundrel. And God saved you by putting a mustard seed of grace in your heart. And so, if this is true, if this seed of grace has found your heart, if that seed of grace is growing up inside of you, then please, dear Christian, be of good cheer. Because in the middle of all of the evil in the world, in the middle of all the disasters and all the depressions and all the discouragement, in the middle of all the stress and all the strain, whatever it is that's pressing down on your life and my life, in all of those things, when our small mustard seed of faith feels tiny and feeble and frail and weak and helpless and scrawny and scanty and trivial, be of good cheer. Do not fear. Why? This is what Luther said. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. And then he wrote this, We tremble not for the prince of darkness. Why? Why do we not tremble for the prince of darkness? Because our prince is the prince of peace. Our prince is the prince of life. Our prince is the prince of eternity. And unlike any other kingdom in any other nation and any other country, only the kingdom, only the nation, only the country of Jesus has no end. And His reign is forever and ever and ever. That's what's behind the number. 
That's what's behind the seed. Jesus and his power and his authority and his reign and his kingdom forever and ever and ever. All of that is behind this seed. And how do we know any of that is true? Well, we know it's true because of the manger and because of the cross and because of the empty tomb because of the truth of the Holy Scriptures of God, because of the beauty of the Gospel, we are not winging this. The mustard seed is, is not a fairy tale legend about some little seed you plant in the ground and, and a magic vine is going to grow up to heaven. That's, that's not what this is. The kingdom of God for you as a believer is this reminder that the power and the authority and the love and the beauty and the grace and the mercy and the hope and the joy of God is alive and active in your heart. That's amazing. It's amazing. So the mustard seed in the kingdom of God, it has an internal impact on your life right now as you sit here. But it also has an external impact on your life. A couple of years ago, Bethany Jenkins was writing about Margaret Lacey. Margaret, for about the last 20 years, has been a bus driver, school bus driver in northern Alabama. I love what Bethany writes about her. Margaret's work doesn't seem to matter much to the world or to the church. It isn't powerful, strategic, or lucrative. She'll probably never run for political office, speak at a national conference, or underwrite a church's capital campaign. No, she's just driving a bus. She goes on. For Christians, when we work in places that don't embrace our kingdom purposes, listen to this, we are signposts pointing to the coming reality of redemption. All right, right now, go to your office. I mean, not physically, you know, mentally. Go to your office right now. Go to your school. Go to your job. You're a signpost. That's cool. <laughs> that's intimidating, but that's cool. You're a signpost for the reality of the redemption of God. Man, be a good signpost. That's fun. She goes on. Our work to change the world by advancing the kingdom, though, doesn't always look like we might expect. That's true, and here's how she describes it. It's less like a stallion and more like a donkey. Less like a politician and more like a carpenter. Less like an earthquake and more like a mustard seed. That's good. It's not always the grand and glorious event. It's the, it's the simplicity of being a signpost for the gospel. And then she says this about Margaret. Margaret's work may never change the world, but it's changing her world, which is really what most of us mean when we talk about changing the world. Margaret drives a school bus. She just loves on kids, some of which don't have a lot of home to go home to. And as a believer, she sits in the front of that bus and she's just a signpost for the glory of God. She loves those kids. She encourages those kids. She finds ways to share the gospel with those kids, but, but she's just there to serve as a signpost. She is changing the world, just not in the way that sometimes we think about changing the world. This is what Paul told the church at Rome, Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and here's why. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
The power of the gospel in your life as a believer is astounding. This room is full of some of the greatest pastors that could ever live on earth, and you may never have your name in the bulletin with pastor next to it. We are all signposts of this powerful, glorious, good news that we call the gospel. But don't miss what Jesus said. Kingdom, it's a mustard seed. It's kind of just like this little tiny thing. But out of that little tiny thing, because of the grace and mercy of God, and only because of the grace and mercy of God, out of that little seed, the power of salvation will come to those who believe. So, dear Christian, let us believe deeper and stronger. And if you're not a believer, oh, we plead with you, believe. Come to Jesus and believe.